Welcome to the Dimensions book series by K. Arwen. An extraordinary tale of an inner journey and a battle of good against evil. In this podcast, the heroine Kaya tells her own story from book one, The Awakening. Our journey begins on the Scottish Isle of Skye. Parallel realities interconnect and interweave. Step in and enter dimensions. glanced at the candle that had almost burnt out on the table. She'd been writing in her journal. Hadn't been that long since Morag's passing, but it seemed like forever. I've spoken to the landlord, but to no avail, she wrote. I can't get passage to follow the others to Canada. It seems that the landlord's mind is made up and he only intended on paying passage for one ship. Everything looks so bleak. And since Morag's passing, there's nothing left here for me. I'm not sure what to do. But I have to leave the house by the end of March. And that's less than three weeks away. I've packed up some of my belongings and I'm going to travel north. There's a cave up in the hills and I've decided that until I get clearer I'll go and live there for the time being. If I'm lucky I won't be discovered. I don't see how they can evict me from a cave. It's not in pastoral land at least. Half of me's drawn to the same escape that Morag took. But in my heart I know that isn't the right path for me. I couldn't inflict that knowing onto Owen, for although he's so far away, I'm certain that he would hear of it. And I know on a level he would feel it. And what would that do to him? Maybe if I'm lucky, maybe I'll find another way to get to Canada. Meg closed her journal and wrapped it back into its oilskin cloth and lifted the stone slab in the floor, carefully placing the journal underneath it before replacing it back. I'm leaving you there, she muttered. And then if Owen does come back or or anyone else comes looking, they'll know where I went. I'll start a new journal. This part of my life is over. She looked around her cottage and for a moment felt like Morag. When Morag looked around her cottage for the last time, She ran her hand over the wooden table and, taking up a sack which she had placed her essential belongings and Owen's sword, 
she closed the door behind her for the last time. Outside, at least, it was fine, and although windy, the clouds were high and threatened no rain. She closed her eyes for a moment and thought of Owen, and pictured him working, felling some trees to clear some land to build a house, a a house that she knew she would never see. Why did we part, she cried to the wind. Where are you? And for a moment she thought she saw Owen pause and hold his head to the sky as if hearing her voice on the wind. Meg, she thought he heard his desperate cry, and then the vision faded. Meg took a deep breath and walked down to her rowing boat. She had decided she would travel by boat for as long as she could before she headed inland. On the shore she placed the sack of belongings along with Owen's sword at the bow of the boat and began to row. As per usual, the exercise lifted her spirits and for a moment she began to feel more optimistic. Then, however, catching sight of the shoreline getting further away with each stroke, the heaviness in her heart crept back. There was a sudden movement in the water and at first Meg thought that the seals were following her boat. As they swam closer, however, she noticed that it wasn't the seals that followed but the kelpies that she had seen before. Follow us, Meg heard the voice in her head. Follow us. She felt a warm glow in her body and the dread that had threatened dissipated, leaving her feeling lighter than she had for a long while. Follow us. The kelpies swam next to her boat now as she rowed. Not here. Row further round the shoreline. Meg felt warm and light. She didn't feel cold at all anymore and followed the kelpies across the lock to the shoreline where the forest came right down to the water. Pull the boat into the trees, they said, and then come for a swim. Meg rowed the boat up onto the shore and pulled it higher into the trees. Something told her that she was leaving it there for the last time, but she was unsure why. She pulled and pulled at the boat, the effort making her hotter and hotter, and sweat began to pour down her back. She took off her shawl and then her overdress, but she still felt hot from the effort. Then suddenly... The effort was easier, as if an unseen force or the wind had helped her push the boat up the distance towards the trees. And when the boat was hidden, Meg for some reason decided to hide it with broken branches until it had disappeared from vision completely. Now it looked part of the forest that surrounded it, and she turned her attention back to the water. The kelpies had gone but she could still hear them calling. Walking back towards the shore, she waded into the sea. Her underskirt felt heavy, dragging through the water like a wet sheet, and showed she discarded that too and continued to walk out deeper. She was surprised to find that the water no longer felt cold. She could feel the movement of it around her, but there was no difference in temperature. Come to think of it, she thought, I should be feeling cold in my body, standing here in the water with no clothes on, but in truth, I can't feel the temperature at all. 
She looked out towards the sea, taking in the vastness and its deep blue, blue hue. A movement up her head caught her attention, but she couldn't quite make it out. Perhaps it was nothing more than a big wave. And yet, there was no wind to create such a, such a thing. The movement in the water drew closer. Meg gasped as a wave much higher than herself suddenly appeared and raced towards the shore, threatening to engulf her. She stood frozen to the spot. Closer and closer the wave came, and then, just before it reached her, it broke, and a beautiful white horse leapt out from it. The horse trotted up to her and nuzzled its head against her body. With trembling hands, Meg stroked the horse's forelock and mane. I know you, she murmured, and I've missed you. The horse held her gaze, its deep brown eyes full of love. The look it gave her pierced into her heart and with a gasp of pain Meg fell forward into the water. It's all right, I'll carry you, she heard the horse talking now as if in her head. Lean on me and I'll carry you home. Meg suddenly felt as though her body were being lifted into the air and she rose onto the horse's back and slumped forward, supporting herself as best she could against his neck. The horse waited a moment, and then gently walked back into the water. As it waded deeper, it began to change form, its legs becoming the green-blue tail of a kelpie. Further out it swam, until Meg's body too was almost submersed in the water, and as her body touched the waves, it too began to change. Gone were her human limbs, and instead she became a blue-limbed sea kelpie. Her body was visible for one instant, and then, as a wave broke over her, it sank beneath the waves. Modern Day Kaya, I've been out taking my dogs for a long walk to clear my head. I've been enjoying the exercise and watching the dogs as they scamper around after imaginary otters. I've told them that they haven't got a chance of seeing anything, leaping around in the air as they do. The ginger dog, she's here now, looking at me with her head cocked on one side, and then she scampers off again amongst the ferns at the side of the track. And neither have I got any chance of seeing otters either, I think wistfully. I pause for a moment and gaze at a particular group of trees within the forest. It's really strange, but it's like I've seen them before. And yet, I haven't been to this part of Skye before. There's a weird shape in the branches and one of them sort of grows at a crooked angle. An instinct tells me that there used to be a track through them. I start to look amongst the ferns, curiosity getting the better of me. And sure enough, I'm sure I can see the remains of an old stone path. I call the dogs and, leaving the main track, I follow it through the trees, ducking through the overhanging branches, and the path sometimes visible but often not. It's weird, but... I feel like I know it, but how could I? Perhaps I've been here before, but I don't know. Maybe it's a portal. After all, I've gone through portals and connected to 
different aspects of things and maybe there's something similar here and yet I haven't felt that funny energy feeling and I can't feel the energy of a portal nearby either. Oh, I don't know. I continued to make my way through the trees and come to a place where they open out at the side of the loch. I pause in shock. Shock at the beauty of the place, but also at the recognition that now floods through me. My body starts to tremble like jelly and I've gone as cold as ice. The loch stretches out in front of me like a calm mirror, holding an image of the mountains that are on the far bank. The colours of these mountains glow in the water itself, almost like seeing a world within a world. (laughs) It's quite apt, really, knowing what I do about portals. The reflection made by the mountains looks like physical proof of worlds in worlds being a real possibility. I feel as though I could almost walk among the mountains that are glowing on the surface of the water. A sea eagle cries overhead and I turn my attention towards the bird. What things have you seen and what things can you see, I project at it. For a moment I feel like my energies soar to the sky and merge with the eagle. It's funny, I can almost see myself standing far below at the side of the water. And now the scene changes and I can see further round the loch and... On the opposite bank, I can see a rowing boat hidden in trees and and shrubs. The boat looks abandoned and pretty much rotted away. But it feels significant. It's important. That's weird. And then, as I watch, a man discovers the boat's hiding place. I can't see his face, but I feel like I know him. And my heart starts to pound in my chest. I recognise the man's stature and the unruly hair that tumbles in a boyish manner across his face as he pulls back the ferns and drags the boat free from its hiding place. The eagle cries again and I find myself shrinking back into my body. And Suddenly I'm shivering with cold and my body feels like lead. What is happening to me? My mind's hyperactive. I can almost feel the synapses firing looking for possible answers to all my questions. Yet I kind of know that logical thought won't provide me with any of the answers. The strange thing is, I recognise the man. Do you think he's here, on Sky? He looks as though he was wearing modern day clothes and yet, how could I know him? Hey, I wonder if it's a past life connection like the ones I've been reading about. I wonder if he's a soul love. I need to move and try and get warm and I discard the idea of having a dip and walk along the shale, following the shoreline scanning the beach. And as I do, I start to notice small white shells dotted here and there. They appear to gleam iridescent against the coloured stones and Without thinking, I start to collect them. The dogs are still playing tag, much to the annoyance of the seagulls who are objecting by flying low across the water and calling menacingly. My ginger dog takes on the challenge and she starts to run into the water in a vain attempt to catch it and looks shocked when she finds herself half up to her neck. 
(laughs) I'm distracted from my shells and laugh as the dog swims back to the beach looking sorry for herself. She wags her tail feebly for a moment and then, catching sight of another bird, races back up the beach, the previous escapade seemingly forgotten. It's just as well this isn't a nature reserve. The Isle of Skye used to have lots of wildlife until we got here. The dog disappears up ahead and then I catch sight of what appears to be the remains of an old cottage. I walk nearer. I can kind of make out that it probably once stood further away from the water's edge. Now though, the sea has eroded the land around it and it's quite close to the water, so much so that the waves are able to lap against the low stone wall that almost circles it. My heart starts to pound again. Something is pulling me towards this place. It's kind of a magnetic pull that's not exactly without physical discomfort. My hands have all gone hot and sweaty and I've got this familiar prickly heat of anxiety creeping up my neck and the back of my head. What is it with this place and how come I've got such a reaction to it? My dogs run on up ahead, seemingly oblivious. Their only thoughts appear to be looking for things to chase. The ginger dog is now running along with its nose to the ground, snuffling for a likely likely target and hoping for the smell of a rabbit. And the black and white dog, well, she's run into the cottage. I follow her inside and I find her frantically scratching at the floor. Cottage is... It's like quite a sad place, really. There's no roof, just sort of broken down walls and a gap that was once a doorway. And there's an area that possibly could have been a fireplace. And that's where my dog's scratching, or rather now digging at the floor, whining. Not much chance of a mouse there, I'm afraid. Far too solid for a mouse girl. You'd be better off joining your sister outside. But the dog is persistent and continues to whine, pausing for an instant to give me one of her Paddington-like hard stares, as if to say, well, you could help. All right, let's see what you're doing. I crouch down to investigate. The dog has scraped away the dirt and plant roots from one side of the flagstone. I trace the stone with my finger, and as I do, it moves slightly beneath my touch. The stone's loose. I collect a stick from the shore and wedging it into the edge of the stone, I use it as a lever. The dog is no longer digging, but she's still whining and wagging her tail as if to offer encouragement. We need to dig a bit more here, girl. You could help now. I begin to scrape away at the dirt and dried foliage from the other side. And I lift the stone gently. Underneath there's a a hole. And it's sort of like a hiding place. And there's something seems to be inside it. I gently lift the item from its hiding place, my fingers grasping against an old cloth. Well preserved, saved for a a slight mould in one corner where the damp had started to take its toll. The cloth is almost like cardboard now. But I can tell that it had once been thick and supple, perhaps oil skin. 
and it's tied by a leather cordage around the middle. I slowly undo the knot and I let the cloth fall away to reveal a, a leather-bound book. I find myself stroking the binding and spine. I'm certain I've seen it before. But how could I have? This book looks ancient. I gently open the cover. The writing is neat and written in a dark brown ink. Meg's Diary Well, there hasn't been an energy portal, but there may as well have been. I trace the words on the pages and they're written in Gaelic, and yet I can read them as easily as if they're in modern English. I read about Owen and of herbs and sea plants that Meg had used to make tinctures and remedies to help the people in the village. I read of the loch and the rowing boat. Was that the one I saw earlier? I feel that it was, but why had it been hidden? I close the book and sit for a while, lost in thought. My dogs come up and touch at my arm with their noses and my attention is brought back into the moment. The light's going. I need to get back before it gets dark. I wrap the book in its old cloth and I head back along the path to the forest track and my van. My head's spinning with questions. Later that evening, when the dogs are fed and they're lying out in front of the fire in their doggy bliss, I reopen the diary. It's funny, but I've decided to light a lot of candles and, and read it by the light from the candles and by the light from the fire. Somehow, I don't want to use the electric light or even a torch. It feels like a, a sacred moment, as though I'm holding vigil for Meg and her story. It's not long before tears are streaming down my face as, as I read. Meg's knowingness of the disaster that was to befall the village and the traumatic farewells as the villagers left the community and embark on the journey for Canada. I read about the shadow men and of Morag's lone figure waving farewell as the carts wound their way down the road and of Meg refusing to go. I feel it. I feel it to the very core of my being. Meg couldn't leave the elderly woman on her own and as much as she had loved Owen, she couldn't see that proud woman waving them off, so she had stayed too. She'd promised that Morag would settle with her cousins and then she'd find another vessel to carry her to Canada, but had she ever gone? I don't think she did. I read about Morag's burial and of Meg leaving for her hiding place in the caves. But I know that she never got there. I look up from the book. Hours have passed. And I close the diary and blow out the candle, staring at the flames in the fireplace. My eyelids growing weary and heavy as I focus on the blue-orange flames flickering and dancing on their glowing coals. My eyes close and I fall asleep. I dream that I am the sea eagle again, swooping and soaring on the air current, 
and far beneath me is the sea, a vast expanse of blue and turquoise. And then I'm on the shoreline, walking along a rough wooden jetty. It's a warm day, and I I lie down on the wood, feeling the texture of it beneath me and smelling the warm wood smell. It feels calm and peaceful. It feels like home. The warmth from the sun above seems to soak through my clothes and into my body and I dangle my legs over the side of the wooden jetty into the water. The sea is crisp and cool and I kick out my calves splashing the water onto the jetty and myself. What are you doing? In my dream I open my eyes and look up into the face of the man that I'd seen by the boat. Are you real this time? I ask him. The man smiles. Look, and he points across to the shore where a man, him, is working on an upturned boat. I sit up and watch the man working, cutting and planing wood, managing to curve it into the correct shape to fit along the bow. Is that you? I ask, looking to where the man on the jetty had been. But he's vanished. So I continue to observe the man on the shoreline. He certainly looks like the same person, working away on the boat, unaware that he's being watched. The man is wearing outdoor clothes that are clearly old favourites. They've got a snug, worn look that kind of appeals to me. There's a guy who's confident in his own skin, I think, as I take in the dark wool hoodie, zipped up and hole at the elbow and the deep red beanie that he's got on his head and slouched down at the back with a certain je ne sais quoi. I find I find myself feeling this deep love and do you know I've always loved him. I say it over and over to myself. I love him. Completely love him. Behind the shoreline there's a rocky slope covered in part by low trees and on top of that there's a small beach house. The house looks secluded and kind of snugged into the shoreline and yet it's got a light and airy feel with large windows that gaze out across the loch. And then my dream changes again and I'm running over waves. Running? laughing and chasing what looks like a Loch Ness monster and the creature turns towards me baring its teeth in some sort of comical smile, clearly enjoying the game. There's a sudden draught in the room and I shiver and wake up. The fire now has all but burnt out. I stretch my arms and legs and standing, cross the room, heading towards the stairs and the promise of bed. I walk past the window and automatically glance outside. The windows have got curtains, but I don't like them or use them, so I always leave them open. And now, because of that, I can see out into the moonlit garden. I do a double take. The moonlight is so bright. I walk over to the window and crane my neck upwards as if to see if it's a full moon. It must be to be reflecting so much light. And yet the moon can't be seen on this side of the house, so I wrap the throw around me and walk to the front door, open it and step outside onto the gravel, 
to look into the sky. Oh. There's no sign of the moon. But there is sign of a very real, small, silver-looking, flying saucer hovering directly over the house. I pinch myself. Nope, I'm still awake. Clearly this is no dream. Thank you for listening. And so that you don't miss an episode of Kaya's journey from Dimensions, The Awakening, then please follow the podcast K. Arwin Dimensions, the book series. And for more information on the author, check out kayamia.co.uk. Until next time, I leave you with some Atlantean light language. Say